0: Thank you for checking out the Mercy Hill Church Sermon Podcast. If you would like to know more about Mercy Hill, you can visit us on the web at mercyhill.cc. So we continue on with our series, the Gospel of Luke. And this week we are on number 52. So one year in the Gospel of Luke so far. What do you guys think? You guys enjoyed it? It's been a long time. We've essentially spent although we didn't start we didn't start in chapter one, we started kind of like in chapter four. So we've really spent one year and ten chapters in the Bible. So it's been good though. It's been good. We'll be here for probably another I wanna say we'll probably be here another year. So One year from now, we'll be sitting here looking at each other like, wow, that was really long. (laughs) A couple years, one book, how about it? All right. Well, we're going to look at Luke chapter 14, and we'll be in verses 12 through 24 this morning. If you want to turn there in your Bibles. Um, There's some Bibles in front of you, some Black Pew Bibles if you need one. We also have a number of uh, Bibles in the back on the back table that um, we wanted to give away. And so if you do not have a Bible, if you do not have a Bible or you have a friend who you'd like to give a Bible to, that they do not have a Bible, please help yourself. Grab a Bible, give it to them. Uh, We want to make God's Word available to anyone who needs it. If you need a Bible and that pew Bible sitting in front of you is like, man, I could really use a Bible, take the pew Bible. We will buy more Bibles, okay? So if you need a Bible, take a Bible. They're yours. We want want to see those used. Um, It is our joy and be great delight for people to be able to take those and give them away or bring them home and use them or wherever that is. Uh, We want to make God's Word available to everybody. So please help yourself. There's Bibles in the back of the table. All right, Luke chapter 14. We'll be starting and looking today in verse 12. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you this morning for the gift of your Word. God, thank you that your word is powerful. God, you say your word is like bread to us. It nourishes us. It feeds us. It it helps to strengthen us. And so this morning, we ask that we would be strengthened by your word. God, we also know that your word, as it is sent out from you, Lord, does not return to you void, but it accomplishes what you've sent it to do. So, Lord, we pray that in our hearts today, we would be open you would give us the gift of faith. Help us to see. Holy Spirit, we ask that you give us eyes to see and understand and hear the Word of God to us. And in all these things we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's turn over to chapter 14, verse 12. We'll start by reading the first 12, 13, and 14. Remember, Jesus here is at a banquet. He's at a feast. And he's surrounded by a number of Pharisees, which would have been the religious leaders of the day. And if you've been tracking along, if you've been here for a few weeks, you know that Jesus and the Pharisees really aren't buddy-buddy. They're kind of adversarial at times, and um, this is no different. The Pharisees, Luke notes, that are watching him carefully. They're studying his every move, his every word, his every interaction. They want to trip him up. They want to confuse him. They want to try to trap him in his words. And they want to discredit him because they don't like the way that the crowds are beginning to follow and respond to Jesus. It's pulling away from some of their authority and, and their power. And so here, here Jesus is in the context of a group of, of Pharisees, of religious leaders, who, um, who are trying to trip him up and, and take him apart. And this is what Jesus says. <clears throat> he said also to the man who had invited him, When you give a dinner or a banquet... So remember, this is Jesus as He's here with all the Pharisees. He's beginning to confront the guys who are around Him. and He's he's calling them out for the things that they've done. When you give a, a dinner or a banquet, do not invite your friends or your brothers or your relatives or rich neighbors, lest they also invite you in return and you be repaid. But when you give a feast... Invite the poor, the cripple, the lame, the blind, and you will be blessed because they cannot repay you. You will be repaid at the resurrection of the just. And so Jesus is confronting the Pharisees who are all at this party. They're all together. They're spending time together and they're watching him carefully and he begins to call out the people at the party for what they're doing. He's noticing how they're trying to take the best positions at the table. He's noticing how they're they're looking down upon the guy who is sick. And Jesus continues on with what he just says. In the first century there was a bit of a social obligation where if you were invited to someone's party or banquet that necessitated a a return invitation to one of your parties. So there's a bit of this, hey, I'm inviting you, but with the understanding that the next time you have a party, I'm going to be, or next time I have a party, I will be inviting you to that party. So it's kind of this, I'll scratch your back, you scratch my back. There's kind of this, it puts you under an obligation to the person who invited you to do something in return for them. And so Jesus turns to the host in front of everybody. As you can imagine, Everyone is there. Jesus begins to speak, and they're all watching, and they're all paying attention. It's not like there's probably other conversations going on. Probably everyone got real quiet at this moment. And everyone's listening in to what Jesus is saying. And here Jesus begins to talk to the host. He's not letting these guys off the hook. Jesus is bringing it at this moment. He's not pulling back. He's not playing, playing it nice and safe around the guys. He doesn't want to offend anybody. He just brings it to this guy. He's like, look. I'm looking around this party and I'm I'm taking some notes here and here's what I see. He says, look, who should you really invite to the party? What's important? Who should be on the guest list? He says, here's what's important. That you begin to invite people who have no hope of ever inviting you back to anything. No hope of paying you back There isn't this, hey, I'm inviting you with an expectation that you're going to do something for me or place you in my debt. I'm just going to invite you plain and simple with no expectations of anything in return. And he says, you know, to top that off, it's not just the poor people, but it's also the the lame and the cripple and the blind. At this moment in Leviticus, there's a certain amount of of temple regulations where they go to worship at the temple and this, these temple regulations prohibited certain people from participating in some of the rituals in the temple. Who were those people? It was the blind, the lame, the cripple. They were excluded for some of these activities. And so you could imagine the Pharisees who, were, who tried their hardest to keep all of the regulations and rules wouldn't just look down upon the poor because the Pharisees were in a different kind of so, social class. But they also began to look down upon the, the, the poor or the, the blind, the lame, the cripple knowing that these were kind of like, they're kind of outsiders. They didn't really get in. They really couldn't participate the way that we thought you should participate. So they were judging, and they were excluding them. So Jesus here says, look, don't invite the rich. Don't invite the people who you expect to pay you back. Invite the poor. Invite the blind, the lame, the crippled. Because they are unable to pay you back. As Jesus is talking about this, he's I believe he's revealing something about that goes much deeper than just kind of payback. Jesus isn't arguing about like you should not get any payback whatsoever. Because he says there is payback. But where's the payback coming from? So he's not saying, look, just do it just because I said. You know, you'll be better off for it. I know it's hard. No one's going to pay you back. You're going to spend a bunch of money. No one's going to kind of invite you back to their party and just do it because I said so. He's not arguing that way. No, he's saying, look, actually, I'm arguing that you would desire a reward. Look, you're going to do this for a reward, but your reward isn't going to come from where you think it is. Your reward isn't going to come from the people who you think should be the ones rewarding you going to come from someplace totally different but it reveals something in us and i believe i want to look at this this morning where is our treasure where is our treasure found where is it that we find our treasure jesus is instructing and contrasting true eternal blessing that comes from god and the temporal the temporal fading accolades that come from man so there's two kinds of treasure you can have you can have the treasure that comes from man, the, the accolades, the, the return invitations, the, the obligation that they're gonna ha- they can maybe do some things for you, help you move, whatever that may be, they can help you out. Or the, the, the blessing that comes from Almighty God Himself, from God our Father. He so said, There's a reward that comes from God. He says, There's a different guest list. I'm looking around this party and I'm, I'm saying what I'm seeing is that I? what God thinks as important is different from what you think is important. So who makes the guest list? The poor, the crippled, the lame, and the blind. Those are the people who are on God's VIP list. Those are the ones who God wants invited to the party because God loves the poor. He loves the cripple, He loves the blind. He loves the lame. Proverbs nineteen seventeen says this, whoever is generous to the poor... Whoever is generous to the poor, get this, lends to the Lord, and he will repay him for his deed. God so much identifies with the poor. God so much says, look, that is, that's me. That is who I am. That when we lend to the poor, he's saying, that's me. I see that and say, look, you're, you're not just lending to that guy on the street or that person who's really needy. That's actually me. I'm identifying myself with the poor. In Matthew 25, 31 through 46, we see Jesus having this interaction with, with the people. He's talking about the, the end of time when God separates the sheep and the goats. And he says to the people, Look, when, when, when I was hungry, you fed me. When I was thirsty, you gave me something to drink. When I was a stranger, you invited me in. When I was in prison, you came and visited me. And people are like, When did we ever see you hungry or thirsty? When were you ever in prison? When were you ever a stranger? And Jesus turns and says, look, as you've done it unto the least of these, you've done it unto me. There's this amazing interaction. People are like, what? I can't believe this. But Jesus identifies himself with the poor and the blind and the lame, the cripple. Jesus is identifying himself with, with, with these people, saying, those are my people. This is who I am. When you are kind, when you invite them in, it is as if you're doing it for me. And these are the ones who are finding a way into God's kingdom, right? As we've looked through the Gospel of Luke, who's responding to Jesus? It's the outsiders. It's those who've been rejected. It's the poor. It's, it is the blind. It is the lame. It is the cripple. They're the ones who are responding to Jesus, and they're, they're meeting face-to-face with him. This is what Jesus says in Luke 13. There will be people in the kingdom that you never imagined would ever be there. There will be people in the kingdom from all over the globe who are going to come into this this banquet hall, these festivities, this this great time of party together and celebration. There will be people from all over the globe coming in. He says, some who are last will be first, some who are first will be last. There's this great hope. That this message of the gospel of Jesus Christ goes over all the earth. People from every tribe and tongue and nation would respond to it and receive Him as as their Savior. Now as I read this, I think Jesus isn't just trying to help us have some behavior modification. It's not just like, well, we'll just change your guest list and everything will be okay. He's not just aiming for some kind of behavior change. I believe what He's Challenging us with this morning is a heart change, is a heart level change. Because where is our treasure? Where is our home? That's the challenge for us. Because if we really believe deep within our heart that our treasure, that our home is this earth, and that's all that we have, then those accolades from men and those return invitations from people will be what we desire. That this promise of eternal treasure will mean nothing to us. If this place is really truly our home, but if this place isn't our home, if this place isn't where we find our life, if this place isn't the place where we're gonna we're gonna store up treasure for ourselves, then that promise of, of eternal reward from God becomes all that much more glorious. This is what I mean. A few months ago, shopping at Meyer over on 41. And I look up on the wall, and as you're paying at the checkout, there's like all these black and white pictures up on. You guys know what I'm talking about? It's like old pictures from like 100 years ago, and there's all these you know, people at front of a country store working on a train or something, all kinds of these odds and end pictures of what was going on in the region 100 years ago. And as I was sitting there waiting in line, um, I looked at this one picture, and I saw this guy standing by a train or something, and it just struck me. It struck me, I thought, there are thousands of people that go past this picture every single day, thousands of them. Over the course of a year, who knows how many tens or hundreds of thousands of people go past this picture in a year. Nobody knows who this guy is. Nobody knows what he did. Nobody knows what his family was like. Nobody knows what kind of house he lived in, the kind of clothes that he wore, the amount of money in his bank account. Nobody knows any of those. We, we could be, that could be like someone's great grandpa and people would walk right past it and have no clue who this guy is. And I thought, he may have had the idea that this place was his home. Like so many of us, I think, are tempted to believe. Like, this is my home. This is where I find my treasure. This is where I find my life. And in a few years after we pass away, it means absolutely nothing. All the treasures that we save for, all the hard work we put into these things that we have around us, they're gone. And someday someone's going to look at a picture and say, I don't even know who that guy is. Maybe he's my uncle, maybe he's my grandpa. I have, no idea. I have no idea who this guy is. He may have worked hard all his life to build his home, and it's probably nothing right now. This place is not our home. This place is not where we find our life. This place is not where we get our treasure from. God is challenging us to look so much deeper and so far beyond what we see in the temporal right now. This is not our home. If we want to see heaven as our home, if we want to see this treasure as being most valuable to us, it's got to be from a heart change. It has got to be from Almighty God changing our hearts, changing us from the inside of us, it is Almighty God coming to us and changing and, and really giving us new life and new hope within us, that we would see that the, the, the reward from God is superior and greater than any amount of treasure we can have on this earth, any amount of repayment we can have on this earth, that somehow God would be our great hope, that God would be our reward, that He would be it. And when I forget that this place is not my home, those earthly treasures become so much more desirable. I need a constant refocus of my attention and my eyes to see that the treasures of heaven, that's where it's at. That is our home. If you are a believer today, if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ for the forgiveness of your sins, this place is not your home. the amount of hard work you put into things, the amount of savings you do, the kind of cars that you drive, as nice as those things may be, they're all going to be dust one day. They'll be gone. Someone will look at it on a picture and say, I don't even know who that guy is. This place is not our home. And the moment we forget that, those treasures here on earth become oh so much more alluring those accolades from men become all that much more important to us. It's when we remember and we begin to understand that this place is not our home, that heaven is our home, that our home is with Jesus Christ in paradise forever, that those rewards become that much more valuable to us. And we begin to see a change of treasure. That is when we need a treasure change, a heart change. So someone is, is is people are listening to this. They're at the party. Everyone's gathered around listening to, to Jesus' words. Someone gets a little bit nervous, right? Because they look around the party, and there isn't any poor. There isn't any blind. There isn't any lame. Any crippled. No one's no one like that's at the party. Everyone looks pretty much the same in the same social economic class. Everyone's there with an understanding that we're going to invite the host back to our house one day. Jesus talking to everyone at this party. Someone gets a little bit nervous. Verse 15, When one of those who reclined at table with him heard these things, he said to him, Blessed is everyone who will eat bread in the kingdom of God. It's like, okay, let's just take the heat off a little bit, Jesus. Let's kind of change the subject here. Hey, look. Yeah, okay, great party here. We probably should have invited some other people. I know what you're saying. But, hey, There is a banquet coming one day where the kingdom of God is here and we're dining together in paradise and it is awesome and it's great. And Jesus is like, whoa, whoa, whoa. Hold on a second. I'm not finished yet, okay? Thanks, pal. But I've actually got some more things I'd like to say. So Jesus continues on in verse 16. But he said to him, a man once gave a great banquet and invited many. And at the time for the banquet, he sent his servant to say to those who had been invited, come, for everything is now ready. And so at a banquet like this, there would have been two invitations that would would have went out. They didn't have watches with, you know, come at 4 o'clock sharp, we're going to start eating. They They didn't have email reminders or text messages to say, party's getting ready to start, right? So what they would do is they would send out a general invitation a few days prior to the event and say look you're invited to this banquet at that moment you'd give like an rsvp hey i'll be there i won't be there i can't make it i can make it And you let them know so they'd plan ahead because it took a long time to prepare the food so giving your word to say that you're going to be there meant a lot because it was very costly They have to kill the animals and all those kinds of things then the day of they would begin to prepare the food when the food was ready to go, they'd send out the second invitation and say, hey, look, everybody, food's ready, party's going party's to start, you better get over to the, the banquet hall or the person's home. So here we're talking about this second invitation that the guests now are responding to. And look what they say in verse 18. But they all alike begin to make excuses. The first said to him, I have bought a field I must go out and see it. Please have me excused. And another said, I have bought five yoke of oxen, and I must go examine them. Please have me excused. And another said, I have married a wife, and therefore I cannot come. And so at the beginning of verse 18, this this word for they all alike begin to make excuses, this all alike is, is like a word that would I read this, and I, I used to think it was this servant going to, like, individual person, A, he makes an excuse. Go down the street to person B, he makes an excuse. Go down, you know, kind of like approaching his person individually. But the way this is, is worded, it's as if the person, this servant, is going out to a group of people. And they all are like, it's all, like, all at the same time, in unison with, it's says, word for one voice. They all respond by giving excuses, so it's almost like there's this conspiracy. Like they've all said, yes, we'll be there. Thanks for the invitation. I can't wait to go. And then the servant comes and says, hey, look, guys, look, the party's ready to start. And everyone's, says, oh, whoa, whoa, whoa. I, you know what, I can't make it. All at the same time. So person one, he's like, I bought a field. And I've got to go inspect the field, which would have been somewhat of a legitimate excuse. In some of the, purchase, the land purchases, they would have a, a post-purchase inspection of the land. You'd have to go back and check on the land. But the land can wait. He's not like he's got to go do this right now. The second guy says he's bought five yoke of oxen. He bought 10 oxen, which he says, look, I've got to go inspect these oxen. And back in the day, most people didn't have really a whole lot of money. They would maybe have owned one or two cattle. And this guy is going to have 10, so he's probably a wealthy guy. Probably had had some considerable means to have five yoke of oxen, and he asks to be excused as well. So the first and second guy are like, I'm so sorry, I can't make it. I've got all this stuff I've got to do. Third guy, he's like, I'm married. I can't go. Sorry. Doesn't give any excuse, doesn't ask to be excused. He's just flat out, no, not going to go. Not going to be there. So he doesn't show up either. This would have been a huge insult to the host. This would have been a complete insult to say, yes, we'll be there. We'll participate in this. Great fellowship is banquet with you. He would have prepared all the food, got everything ready, go back out, and everyone at the, all at the same time said, no, we're not going to go. We've all got other things to do. We've got to look at a field. We've got some oxen. I'm married. I just can't come. It would have been a complete insult to the host. It would have shown a level of contempt for him, like a, like a cruel joke or something, like, oh, yeah, we'll be there. Thanks for the invite in the day of the party, just not showing up. Let's read on in verse 21. So the servant came and reported these things to his master. Then the master of the house became angry and said to his servant, Go out quickly to the streets and the lanes of the city and bring in who? The poor, the crippled, and blind, and lame. So the second invitation then goes out to people who he's we just mentioned in verse 13. It's like, invite all these people. Man, put them on the list. We've, we, this party is going to start whether there's people there or not. This thing's going to happen. We've got the food ready. This place, is, this place is ready to go. Get some more people to come. The servant responds in verse 22. And the servant said, Sir, what you commanded has been done, and there still is room. And the master said to the servant, Go out to the highways and the hedges and compel people to come in that my house may be filled. For I tell you, none of those men who, who were invited shall taste my banquet. Now he sends the invitation out. So the second invitation goes out to the people of the city. Now this third invitation goes out and says, look, get everyone outside the city as well. Get everybody who you can find to come into my party because we are ready to start and this thing's going to happen. Just because a few people declined the invitation and rejected it, it doesn't mean this thing's not going to happen. This will happen today. So, this goes out to all the people not living in the city. Now, they were probably weren't living in the city because they were either in dire poverty or because they were defiled in some way. And so if you've ever been to like a third world country, you can remember, you go along the side of the road and what do you see? All these kind of shanties and little like sheds. I mean, this little, this, these people living in the ditches and people living alongside the road are just in absolute poverty. It was the same way back then. He's saying, look, go out to the people who are away from the city, who have no hope of coming in, who have been rejected by society, who can't afford to live here, And tell them and compel them to come in. I want those people at my party. And you can imagine the the people's response who've been pushed away and rejected by society for someone to come and say, look, there is a great feast that's going to take place and you're invited. The people listening are like, whoa, 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 hold on a second, pal. Okay, like, do you want me to go there so I can serve people at the party? Are you just playing a mean joke on me? Like, what's... I, I'm not buying what you're saying. Like, go up to some person on the side the room and say, hey, look, you've been invited to the White House. Why don't you go for a great party? We'll have a jet waiting for you at the airport. You know, be like, well, yeah, yeah right, pal. Like, who do you think you are? He says, no, you've got to compel them to come in because this invitation is too good to be true. They're not going to believe you when you go to them and tell them how amazing this invitation is. There's an invitation to a great banquet, one of such you probably never have experienced in your entire life and you're invited we actually want you there we want you to be at this party the people here get into the party not because of what they've done not because they've earned an invitation they get in because they simply respond to an invitation they get in because they have responded to an invitation from the master the master has given them an invitation There's no hope of him ever paying back this this great party. There's no hope of him ever doing anything in return to somehow pay this guy back. It's simply by responding to an invitation. That's why this is so important. It's It's a gracious invitation to all people in the city, outside the city, the wealthy and the poor, the healthy and the lame. There's this invitation that goes out and continues to go out. I want us to make three points of application for us in closing. I want us, like, like we looked at last week, I want us to see this glorious God who is relentless in his pursuit of people. Think about this. What we, what we see, we spent 52 weeks in Luke, what do we see week after week after week? We see a relentless God pursuing people. We see a relentless God going after person after person, rich and poor, Gentile and Jew, man and woman, child, adult, everyone in between. He is pursuing and going after week after week after week. This is what he's doing. This story only typifies what he's been doing since the very beginning. And this is what he is still doing today. He is still pursuing. This pursuit that God has embarked upon to redeem humanity has not stopped. It's not gone away. It's not withered. It's not somehow just kind of been forgotten about. This is on the front burner. This is red hot. This has not changed in the least bit. This is what we see him doing here. We see Jesus doing his entire ministry. What we see him doing through the church today. This is the agenda. This is what was happening. It is a picture of God's grace at work. This is a beautiful picture, a beautiful testimony of God's grace at work, invading people's lives right where they're at. He's meeting the people in the ditches and in the shacks alongside the road. He's meeting the blind and the lame and the cripple. He's meeting the poor He's meeting the Pharisees, he's meeting the well-to-do. He's meeting them right where they're at. And he's offering a gracious invitation of a banquet with him. And we don't get in because we do something to get in. It's a simple response to an invitation. It's a beautiful thing. This for us, I want this to fuel our worship, to fuel our passion for Jesus. When we remember That God has reached out to us and met us right where we are at. When we remember that God is relentless in his pursuit of us. He didn't leave us on our own. He came after us and sought us out and took hold of us. And opened our eyes and gave us the faith to believe. And filled us with his spirit and called us his sons and daughters. This is a relentless God who's not backing down, who's not pulling away. He's not shy or timid. He is bold. He is pursuing. I want this to fuel wholehearted worship and devotion to him. But number two, we as God's children are ambassadors who are also sent on mission. We are God's ambassadors. We are sent on mission to incarnate God's love and compassion towards others. How is God revealing his love and compassion towards people on this earth? Through you and I. Through you and I. We, we are called as God's ambassadors to embody that kind of love and compassion for people that he has. We are the people who are compelling others to respond to God. This is a, I need to hear this message more than anybody. I need to hear this message. I was preparing this week and I thought I need this message. I need this more than anyone here in this church. Because when I look at the, the my contact list on my phone it's a bunch of people that look just like me. Live in similar areas that I do. Like the same stuff that I like. And he's calling us to something radically different. He's calling us to pursue the people that don't look like us people who everyone else has forgotten about, people who have been marginalized, people who have gotten beat down by life. He's saying, I want you to pursue those people. I want you to incarnate my love, my grace to those people. Those are the ones who I'm pursuing and I want you to pursue them as well. He says, I want you you to invite the poor and the cripple, and the lame and the blind. Why why does he want us to do that? Why does God ask us to do that? Because that's what he's doing. He's asking us to look like him. He said, look, I want you to look like me. I want you to reach out like I reach out. I want you to care the way that I care. I want you to express love and compassion for people the way that I express love and compassion for people. The other night I was, actually it was last night, I was reading, the, reading the, a book to the kids, and every night before we go to bed, we lay on the floor and we read a couple of books, and every night, most every night, the kids are like, Daddy, can we wrestle? Can we fight? Can we, can we play with swords? You know, just, they always want like, to like get crazy with me. And usually I do, but last night I'm laying on the floor. I'm ready to read a book, and, I, and there's, there's a bed next to me, and I look up, and there's Nick, like, standing at the edge of the bed, getting ready to jump. And I'm laying on the ground, I'm like I'm like, Nick, no, no, no. Do not jump on me, because he's coming knees first in my spine. It's been done many times. and I, He gets that crazy look in his eyes, and he's like, like yes, now's my chance, you know? And when I see that, as much as I'm like, you better not jump on my spine with knees, like, you're not allowed to do that. You're not allowed to jump knee first, okay? As much as, like, I don't want him to do that, I love that. Why do I love that? Because I'm like, that's what I would do. That's what I I would do, right? I mean, you get the opportunity, you, you, you jump, you know? Like, I'm like, That's just like me. And I love that about him. And when God sees us, as God looks down and sees us with hearts of love and compassion, inviting, welcoming, befriending the marginalized and the poor and the broken, he says, I love that. That's just like me. That's my boy oh, I'm so proud of him because that's what I would do. I love that. I think, man, can we be those people who would embody that kind of love and compassion for people that our Heavenly Father would look down and say, man, those people look just like me. Those people are doing the very thing that I would do if I was there. Those are the people I would invite over. Those are the people that I wouldn't spend time with. Those are the people that, that I, I've come for, and those are the ones who are responding to me. And I love that. Oh, let, us, that, let that be said of our church, that we would be a people of God who would incarnate and embody that kind of love and compassion for people, that we would be those people that in our relationships we would model God's love and heart for people. We're Mercy Hill is part of a, the Highland and Munster Chamber of Commerce, and they meet once a month or something like that. And on their invitations to the Chamber of Commerce meetings that they have, is like a luncheon that they have. They always have like thirty minutes before the lunch to network. All right, so there's networking thirty minutes before the lunch and I'm like I get the networking thing. Okay, I get it. It's it's good business tactics. It's a good way to, you know, make some acquaintances, that kind of thing. But when I read that, man, I just I hate that. I hate this idea of networking. It's so like it's so against everything in the kingdom of God. There couldn't be something more opposite than what Jesus is saying right here. He's talking to the guys who are networking It's the 30 minutes of networking before the meal that Jesus is just steamed about. I think, man, I see, I'm like, oh, it's just so not the kingdom. And I'm like, I'm I'm not going to go to those networking things. I don't want to be a part of the network. I want to be there about, hey, I'm networking. I'm not here to be your friend. I'm here to network. I'm not here to hang out with you and get to know you. I'm networking right now. I'm like, oh, it just makes me angry when I read that. But it's, It's using relationships as a means to further yourself, right? It's a way of using relationships to better yourself. Maybe there's something in it for you. He's talking about something completely different in this passage. This is not a passage on networking. This is anti-networking. This is all about relationship. This is all about the purposes of God, expressing his love, his compassion for people who can do nothing in return. They're not going to give you a couple of nights at the White Sox Stadium with their season tickets. They're not going to come over and help you move. They're not going to come over and do the electrical work that you need done. They're not going to do any of those things for you. These are people who have no hope of ever repaying you. And Jesus says, look, there is a reward in that, and it's not here on this earth. The reward comes from our Father in heaven on that great and glorious day a reward that is eternal, a reward that is glorious and beautiful and compares nothing to the things we see on this earth. Thirdly, if we want to see any change like this in our lives, we need the Lord to graciously change our hearts. We need God to change our hearts. We need God to do a work inside each one. I need a God to do a work inside of me. I need God to change my heart. Because I too quickly forget that this place is not my home. That this is not the place for me to build my treasure. That this is not the place where I'm going to receive lasting reward. I'm going to pass on one day, and you'll be all... Your great-grandkids will be looking at a picture of me in Meijer, and you'll say, I have no idea who that guy is. We have, no one knows anything about this guy, and that's going to be me. And that's got to be Okay. Because my reward is not here on this earth. There's something more glorious, more majestic, and it's reward that comes from the Lord. I think, where do we start with this? Where do we start? What are we going to do? I think simply, I want to submit to this church, it starts with prayer. I don't, I don't see any way to really get this moving get this going, apart from just humble dependence upon God. Be, be, between us and the Lord, going to God and saying, God, change me. Change me. Change my heart. That my treasure would not be here on this earth. That there would be a treasure awaiting for me that I would keep my eye on because my reward doesn't come from men, it comes from the Lord. We need God to change us. And I think the way that starts is by prayer I don't see any other way around it it starts with us humbly before the Lord acknowledging our need for Him repenting of those moments that we have decided that our treasure is actually here that what's most important to me is what's what I see and what I can get we need God to change us we've got our, the Mercy Hill 5 cards we've got some on the back maybe the ushers can pass those out I don't know if we've got enough for everybody. We just I found a stack. Um, but I think it's just a good way. We start praying for people. Start praying for God to change our own hearts. This is why it's so important. Simply humbly going to God and beginning to lay people before the Lord and saying, God, please go to work in us. Please change us. Please move in us. And then in conclusion, I want to say this. If you've not come to faith in Jesus Christ, this morning is a moment of decision. This morning is a moment of decision for you. You have an opportunity to respond to God's invitation. There's an opportunity here this morning for you to respond to Jesus Christ. Turn away from your sins. Trust in Him for forgiveness. Now, in this story, the party goes on. The party doesn't delay indefinitely. There is a time when the party begins and the door to the, to the party is shut. And I want to encourage you this morning, don't delay. Respond to the Lord this morning. Respond to His invitation of forgiveness and fellowship with Him. Let's pray. God, we ask this morning that you would help each one of us to respond to you. And God, we thank you that there is hope for you to change our hearts. God, we confess as we look through the contacts on our phones and the the people who we're friends with around us, God, that most people look a lot like us. Most of the friendships we have are ones of, of mutual edification and benefit, But Lord, I pray that you would give us a heart for people who do not look like us. Lord, who cannot repay us. Lord, change my heart. Change our hearts, we pray. Give us a love for people like the way you love people. and Lord, we pray this morning that you would do a work in us. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. I wanted to say this as as we close. Ushers can begin to pass out the the commune elements. As we we look at this story of the the servant going out and compelling the people to come in, that is our testimony. All of us have this testimony in common, that we were invited by God to, to come and be with Him. That we were the ones who God sought after to bring in. And I think what a, beautiful, what a beautiful picture of God's grace, not just to other people and for other people, but to us. See, we, we, are the, we are the recipients of his grace. We are the ones who've received his invitation and by his grace responded to it. And I think let that be our testimony as a church. He has been at work. It is all a work of grace.